Well, good morning, Rockbrook. Man, you guys are sounding great today. Got the choir. What an awesome song. What an awesome God, awesome message. Wasn't that just amazing? People got saved during that song. I guarantee it. It's just amazing. So um, we're going to shift gears right now in your worship folder. If you'll pull out your sermon notes, if you brought your transformed workbook, I'd encourage you to open them to page two. There's just some blank pages in there where you can write down uh, some of the things. And uh, we're going to begin our transform campaign by looking at spiritual health. Romans 12, 2 is our theme verse for the campaign. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because you're either going to be conformed to the world or you are going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation starts. doesn't start in your actions. doesn't start in your body. It doesn't start in your behavior. doesn't start in your will. Transformation starts with the renewal of your mind. Because if you can change the way you think, it'll change the way you feel. You change the way you feel, it'll change the way you act. And so in this series, in seven major areas of your life, we're going to ask the question, how do I change the way I think about this? Because changing the way you think will renew your mind, it'll transform how you feel, it'll transform how you act. But it starts in the mind. And we start with spiritual health because the further away you get from God, the more your life is troubled. The more trials, the more difficulties, the more distress, the more things go wrong, the more chaos in your life. Because you're not cooperating with your Creator. You're not following God's plan for your life. The Bible says the way of the unrighteous is rough. It's hard. It's difficult. The further away I get from God, the more trouble I'm going to have in my life. On the other hand, the closer you get to God, the more your life is transformed. And we see that throughout Scripture. We see it in our own life. The people who are far away from God lead difficult lives. People who draw near to God find grace and peace. Now, you wouldn't be here this weekend if you didn't want to be close to God. But the harsh reality is some of you can point to a time in your life when you would say, I remember when I really felt God's presence. I was close to God and could sense his friendship and his fellowship. There was a joy in my life, but I've lost it. And God seems far away from me now. If God seems far away from you now, guess who moved? Yeah, it's you. It's not God. So how do I get back to God if I've wandered away? Well, fortunately in the Bible, we have a story about how to get back to the Father. In Luke 15, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to just read the story to you, and then we're going to pull some principles out of it on how to transform your life. Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, give me my share of your estate now, instead of waiting until you die. So his father divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and left home to live in a distant land. He got as as far away from the father as he could. There he squandered the gift he'd been given and wasted his life and money on wild parties and reckless living. About the time all his money ran out, a severe famine hit the land and he began to starve because he was left with nothing. The only job he could find was feeding swine on a farm. He became so desperate and hungry that even the pig slop he was feeding the swine looked good to him. But no one would give him anything for his hunger. 
When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, This is crazy. At my father's home, even the lowest paid workers eat well. While I'm far away, dying of hunger, I'm going to return home to my father and humbly say, Father, I have sinned against both God and you, and I am not worthy to be a part of this family or called your son. But please, just make me one of your servants who works for you. With that attitude, he headed back home to his father. But while the son was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against both God and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring me the finest robe in our house and put it on him. Then get my signet ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. Then roast the calf we have been fattening. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. For this child of mine was distant and dead, but now he's back and alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Let the party begin. That is an incredible story of how every one of us tends to wander away from our Father, from the Creator who made us, from the God who loves us. Let's just take a look at this. Now notice this young man, and he is a young man. You know, uh, this is not some teen making bad choices and the father just lets him go wild. This, This is a man old enough to receive his inheritance. He is old enough to say, I want you to give me what's rightfully mine. He says, give me my. Give me my, and I'm in a hurry, so give me my now. And then the son packs up and heads to a far country, away from the father, where he wastes his money to the point where he becomes homeless. And then the nation goes into a recession caused by a famine. Nobody has anything to eat. The only job he can find is on a farm slopping pigs. And he is so desperate, he is so hungry, that he's going, man, this slop looks good. Now, I grew up on a farm, and if you are looking at pig slop saying, man, this looks good, you are desperate. You are desperate. Nobody give him anything for his hunger. And he came to his senses. The servants in my father's house eat better than this. What in the world am I doing here? And he knows he doesn't deserve the love of the father. So he says, I've wasted half my father's lifetime earnings. So I'm not going to ask him to accept me back in the family. I'm just going to ask him to hire me as one of his servants. And you know the rest of the story, and we saw the father's response. But from this story, we see four things you need to do to get back to God. Wherever you are today, and you may, be, you may be way, 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 way far away from God. I mean, some of you, this may be the first time you've been in church for years and years. Some of you, it's just been a bad week. You've just wandered, and God doesn't seem very close to you because of this week. I just don't feel God's presence anymore. And however far away you are, however long you've been gone, this is how you get back to God. This is the pathway to spiritual transformation, to spiritual health. What is it? Four things. Number one, I get fed up with my life. Nothing is going to change in your life until you first get dissatisfied with the way you are. Nothing happens until you get fed up with your life. If you think, ah, really, I'm just fine. I don't need to make any changes. Nothing's going to change in your life. Not until you decide, I don't like this. 
I do not want to live like this anymore. I am sick and tired of the debt. I am sick and tired of the wounded relationships. I'm sick and tired of the hurt. I am not going to live like this anymore. You've got to get desperate, get hungry, get anxious for change. Nothing happens until you get fed up. In that passage, it says he wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry, and he finally came to his senses. That's where transformation begins. When you get desperate, when you get hungry, when you come to your senses. And so the question is, are you there yet? Are you there yet? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the end of your strength? Come to the end of your resources? Come to the end of your rebellion? Are you there yet? Because if not, God will allow you to continue your downward descent. If that doesn't work, he'll let you fall a little farther. If that doesn't work, he'll let you fall a little farther. If that doesn't work, he will let you hit bottom. And some of you have hit bottom. You've lost a job, you've lost a marriage, you've lost a friend, you've lost something. Why? Because God does not want you to waste your life and God is willing to let you come to the end of yourself if that's what it takes to draw you close to him. So are you there yet? First step in transformation is for you to become discontent, to get disgusted, to get fed up with the way that you're living, to come to the end of yourself. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. Are you serious about finding God? Do you want him more than anything else? Are you fed up? It's good, because that's the starting of your transformation. Number two, I own up to my sin. First he got fed up, then verse 17 and 18, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and you. Nothing is going to happen until you own up to the fact of your sin, until you own up. I've not been living God's way, I've been chasing my way. I've not been living in a way that feeds my faith, I've been fueling and feeding the flesh. I've been living in a way that puts me in control of my life. I have moved God off the throne. I have put myself in place. And folks, that is rebellion. It is sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden his face from you. You ever prayed and God just seems like he's a million miles away? Why does that happen? Your sins have separated you from your God. And he's hidden his face from you. The fact is, you're as close to God as you choose to be. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame your husband, can't blame your wife, can't blame your kids, your mom, your dad, your brother. You can't blame the government. It's one thing you can't blame the government for. You can't blame other people. You are as close to God as you choose to be. And the truth may be that you haven't been desperate enough to admit your sin. If I hold you underwater, dunk you underwater... I mean, you'll struggle a little bit, but I hold you underwater long enough and you become desperate, desperate for air, desperate for life, you will really struggle. And when you're that desperate, you don't just get fed up, you own up. You own up and say, God, I haven't been going your way, I've been going my own way, doing what I want to do, and here's the prayer you need to pray. It's found in Psalm 51. David prayed this prayer when he owned up to his sin. Let's read this out loud together. Let's read this. Be merciful to me, O God, 
because of your constant love, because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins, wash away all my evil, and make me clean. I recognize my faults, and I am conscious that I've sinned against you. Circle, I recognize my faults. I own up to my sin. Now, what is God's response when I own up, when I recognize my faults? How does God respond? The Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. God says, no matter what you've done, who you've done it with, how long you've done it, or where you did it, I can take care of it. You know that that stain in your life that you think is just going to haunt you for the rest of your life? God says, I can get that out. I can take care of that. Now, this week in your small group, you're going to study seven habits for spiritual health. But today, I'm going to give you two more habits. And the first habit goes right along with this point. The first habit is you want to develop the habit of a regular spiritual checkup. Doctors tell you you need a regular physical checkup. You need to go in regularly, have your heart, your colon, your blood uh, checked regularly. Why? Why do you get regular physical checkups? Because if there's something wrong in here, you want to find it out sooner rather than later, right? Same is true spiritually. You know, sin starts growing. If there's a root of bitterness that's starting to come up, if there's a a bad, sinful habit that's starting in your life, it, it can grow and become a spiritual cancer. And so you want to nip it. You want to nip it in the bud. That's my best Barney Fife imitation. You know, you want to catch it early. You've got to do spiritual checkups on a regular basis. Now, there are five spiritual areas that you can test yourself in. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. Those are the five purposes that God has for your life. And in this campaign, each week we're setting a goal for each week. And the goal for this week is to do a spiritual health assessment. If you've got your workbooks, turn to page 220, and you'll see there's just a little 10-minute spiritual health assessment in there. And I would encourage you uh, just to take that. Many of you, you've already taken it in your small group. Last week, you've already met the goal. But you need to do a spiritual health assessment like every six months. Just get in the habit of checking up and owning up. Just like you need a physical checkup, you need a spiritual checkup. Now also in your study guide, uh, there are 50 daily devotionals that we're going to read together. If you turn to page 14, and you've got the first daily devotional there that's going to happen. We're all going to start reading these on Monday. Now if you've already started, don't sweat it, just keep reading But if you haven't started, we'll start tomorrow. Monday morning is a good time to start these. Read number one on Monday, number two on Tuesday, number three on Wednesday. And over the next 50 days, we'll read through those together. Now also uh, in this campaign, every week we have a memory verse. And this week our memory verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Some of you noticed, I didn't peek, I didn't look, I've, I've been working on the memory verse, so I hope I got it right. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You know, I've been a believer for over 40 years, and that verse is still precious to me. Why? Because it doesn't mean that 40 years ago, when I gave my life to Christ, I became a new person, and now 40 years later, I'm just stuck with what I got. You know, that's not what it means. 
That verse means that every day God is providing new mercies to me, a new measure of grace to me. Every day God is offering me the power to transform my life. Every day the old life is gone, the new life has begun. Every day I have a new identity, a new destiny in Jesus Christ. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. There's power in that verse. Now about this habit of regular spiritual checkups, here's a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. Circle test and solid. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. If you fail the test, read it with me, do something about it. Let's read that like we mean it. Do something about it. Be transformed. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See, it's in the mind, the heart and the mind. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I get fed up and then I own up. I move past my denial and I do a spiritual inventory. I I face up to what I need to do. Third step, if I'm going to get back to God, I offer up myself. Third thing this young man did, he offered up. Notice in Luke 15, 12, it says, The son drifted away, saying, Give me my now. And then in 15, 19, he returned to the father, saying, Make me a servant. Notice any change in attitude there? (laughs) Hello. Yeah. He leaves saying, Give me my now, comes back. Make me your servant. When your heart moves from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, when you go from give me my now to make me your servant, that's the greatest transformation that will happen in your life. And the question is, are you there yet? Are you there yet? Because it is a personal decision that you must make that starts that transformation. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a process, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. We are being transformed. It's a continual process, not something that happens once, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. And the word transformed in these verses is the Greek word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is what transforms a caterpillar into a chrysalis, into a butterfly. And and that process doesn't happen overnight. In fact, there's a stage with that chrysalis, with that cocoon, that's really pretty ugly. But when it breaks out of that cocoon, the butterfly is stunning. And that's what transformation is all about. You, When you're a caterpillar, you can't do much except crawl around on the ground and munch on leaves. But God didn't made you to do that. That's not God's destiny for you. God wants you to soar. God wants you to be transformed. But you've got to go through the transformation process. I get fed up, I own up, I offer up. Romans 12, 2 is our theme verse. Romans 12, 1, the verse right before it, listen to this. Because God is merciful to you, Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is no transformation until you offer up. 
No transformation until you make the decision. And it's a daily decision to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now notice the Father's response when you make that decision. Luke 15, 20. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now notice the Father didn't wait until the son had made it all the way back home. You know, while he was still a distance away, the father ran to meet him. You know, the moment, the moment you decide, I am sick and tired of living like this, the moment you turn toward God, the moment you own up, offer up, God moves more than halfway. God will run to meet you. God's not waiting for you to crawl home and, and beat on the stoop. God is waiting for the moment you move toward him. God takes the initiative, runs, throws his arms around you, kisses you. He says, get the best robe, get the best shoes, get the best ring, kill that calf. We are going to celebrate and party. And I want you to give these things to my son who blew half of my income. Is that amazing? I mean, the prodigal son's foolish actions cost the father half of his life earnings. And your foolish actions and my foolish actions have cost our Heavenly Father far, far more. God loved us enough that he sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt for the sin that we racked up in our rebellion. Sin, rebellion, disobedience are costly. Yes, salvation is free, grace is free, but it cost God, the Father, his son. It cost the son his life. And remarkably, God doesn't hold a grudge against all the dumb stuff you and I have done. Instead, God wants to lavishly bring out the best for you. God has a better plan for your life than you could ever imagine. Do not settle for less than the best that God has to offer you. Do not settle. And if there were a better way to live than the way you're living, wouldn't you want to know about it? That's what transformation is all about. The problem is, is too many of us say, you know, I'm living the good life. Pastor, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. And you are. You're living the good life. You live in America. There's not a person in this room that would be overjoyed to move into one of those little houses I just showed you a little bit ago. Not a one of you. Because you are living the good life. You are looking good. You are feeling good. You got the goods. You're living the good life. The problem is the good life is not good enough. It is not good enough. God offers you a better life, a new life, an abundant life, an eternal life, a life far better than you could ever imagine, any more than a caterpillar can imagine what it's like to be a butterfly. And God says, do not settle. Do not settle for pig slop when you can have far, far better. So how do I get there? I get fed up, I own up, I offer up. And there's one more thing. One more thing. I lift up. I lift up my praise. Because when you make the transformation, when you come home to God, you're not coming home to condemnation, you're coming home to celebration. Luke 15, here's what the Father says. He says, we're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. He was lost, but now he's found. Let the party begin. And Psalm 68, 4 says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. 
And I want to tell you, church, for the sake of your own spiritual transformation, you need to start singing in church. You need to start singing in church. Now, some of you say, you know, Pastor, I just come to hear the sermon. That's the really important part. Uh, For some of you, the singing time, that's a time to go get another cup of coffee or go to the bathroom or go get your kids ahead of the line in Rockbrook for kids. Some of you say, oh, I don't sing because, you know, I'm, I'm not a good singer. Some of you are prison singers. You're always behind a few bars and you can't find the right key. Okay? Okay. That's me. But the Bible doesn't say be pretty in your singing. It says make a joyful noise. Anybody can make a joyful noise. And for your own spiritual transformation, you need to start singing in church. That's right. Swedish researchers just recently concluded that the habit of group singing, not singing by yourself in the shower, not singing by yourself in the car, the habit of group singing is good for, it's great therapy. It's good for your mental health, your emotional health, your social health, even your physical health. Singing with other people lowers your blood pressure, releases endorphins, makes you feel good, improves your mood, builds your confidence, relieves loneliness, releases negative emotions and stress, and creates positive emotions. People who sing in worship live longer. That's what it does for you. And I want you to intentionally start singing all the songs in worship. Every song, every word. Even the ones you don't know, give it your best shot. Even the ones you don't like, I don't care if you like it, it's not up for you, it's for God anyway. Even the ones you think are too loud, we got earplugs back at the information table. Even the ones that aren't your style, get over yourself. I want you to sing. I want you to sing. Because it will lower your blood pressure, release endorphins, improve your mood, build confidence, relieve loneliness, release negative emotions and stress, create positive emotions, and extend your life. And that's called transformation. But let me tell you why I want you to sing the most. Because you need to understand what God has done for you. Understand When you understand what God has done for you, He has received you back into the family. He has given you the best clothes, the best shoes. He's given you the ring. He is killing the fatted calf. He sacrificed his son for you. He is worthy, worthy of your praise, worthy of every word you can send out. When when you came home to the Father, the Father had a celebration, not a condemnation, a celebration. And if you're going to get transformed, you've got to get fed up, you've got to own up, you've got to offer up, and you need to lift up. I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. Let the party begin. Let's pray together. God, when we think of your grace, we're just overwhelmed. And it makes our heart want to sing. There's no way we deserve this kind of celebration, this kind of welcome when we come home. But we come to you, and the first thing we say is we are just fed up. God, I do not want to keep living like this. We're fed up with life without Christ. We're fed up with a life that is far from you. We're fed up trying to do it in our own power. We have come to the end of ourselves, end of our strength, end of our resources. God, we are done. We are desperate. We are hungry. And so today we own up to our sin. 
we realize the reason we're not close to you is because we've moved. We've, we've allowed other things to come between us and you. We've allowed things to cloud our vision. We, we've loved other things more than we loved you. We've moved you out of first place and we put ourselves on the throne. And God, that is rebellion. It is sin. And we confess it today. And God, we offer up ourselves. We're not saying, give me, give me, give me anymore. We're saying, make me. Make me your servant. Lord, transform our lives through these 50 days. And if you've never accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, I want to invite you just to pray right now. Just say, God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for his work on the cross. I thank you that he offers me a new, abundant, eternal life. And today I receive that life. God, I want to be born again. I want to be transformed. I want you to change me, make me your servant. And so I offer up my life to you. And God, we just want to lift you up in praise because you are worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you gave your life to Jesus Christ today, I'd encourage you to let us know about that. Uh, if this is the first time you've made that decision for Christ, just write that on the back of the communication card and drop it in the offering bag. We had 10 people who made a decision for Christ last weekend in our services. How cool is that? Yeah, how cool. And so if you've made that decision today, then, then let us know about it. If you want to talk to me after the service, I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you about your faith in Christ. But right now, let the party begin.